interesting. That was a nice encouragement. <laughs> I like to look smart. It's good to see Bud Darling here this morning. <laughs> Bud, great to have you. Watch out for his cart, though. He ran over my toe. It's still hurting. Well, three weeks ago, um, when I spoke, we celebrated Christ is Victor. Christ is Victor, Christus Victor mentality. And today I want to celebrate a different theme, and that is Christ is mediator. Christ is God's mediator. Christ is our mediator. And I want you to join me in a Bible study of... Taken uh, wherever this word is in the Bible is where we want to go. And it appears six or eight times, this word mediator, uh, excuse me, eight times, uh, twice in the book of Job, and then in the book of Galatians, then in the book of First Timothy, and then in the book of Hebrews. Can you hear me? Okay. In Job, we read uh, in Job 9, 32 and 33, Job is pouring out his heart. He wants to talk to God, and yet he knows that he's unable to do so, to dispute with God. He says, for he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no mediator between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Now this word mediator uh, has several different uh, English translations. If you look at the um, King James Version, the word is daysman. Daysman. Uh, if you look in the New American Standard, it's umpire. In the uh, NIV, it's uh, arbiter. And so the word is using a lot of English words to describe this word mediator. Probably the most famous verse that you think of when you think of the word mediator is 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you look in Vine's commentary or Vine's encyclopedia, you see that the word mediator is used two ways in the scriptures. The first we're very familiar with, and that is one who mediates between two parties. The second use is a little bit less familiar, and that is one who acts as a guarantee after securing something that otherwise would not be obtained. As we go deeper into the scriptures on Jesus Christ, as the one true mediator, we shall see both of these uses in play. And I'm trust, trusting that you will be deeply blessed as we dig into the word together and discover Jesus Christ, God's perfect daysman. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we don't want to just presume that... Um, this will be all that it could be without asking for your special anointing and power and blessing on your word. Help me to be clear, Lord. Help your word to go forth as you promise in it. 
that it won't return void and that it will do a deep work in us. I just praise you for my brothers and sisters and pray that you will pour out your spirit upon them, Lord, through your word today and upon me as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at the meaning in Job of this word mediator. In verse 2 of chapter 9, Job answers one of his friends and says, How can a man be in the right before God? How can a man be right before God? And Job lifts up an ancient problem. And that problem is, how can man approach God? How, who can bridge heaven and earth? He cries out for what I call, or what I've read in old westerns, uh, a sky pilot. Someone who has flown through heaven and through earth and is able to speak with authority in both spheres. I want to look at Ephesians um, chapter 4, 8 and 9 to illustrate this idea of one who flies through the heavens as well as the deepest parts of the earth. We read here, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things in all. In Hebrews 4, 14, we read, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Isn't that beautiful? We have a sky pilot who has passed through the heavens and descended into the lowest parts of hell. Someone, Job says, I need a daysman who will come and uh, mediate between me and God. And I think he knew that only God could provide such a person, such a one. Only God could provide because who could speak for God other than God himself? So he cries out for a daysman, for a mediator. So let's look at this word daysman. Uh, it's a fascinating word. It's it's uh, a daysman is an umpire, an arbiter, a mediator, or a judge. It's from a Latin phrase meaning to fix a day for hearing a cause. Such a one is empowered by mutual consent to decide the case and to lay his hand on both parties, meaning to impose his authority on both and enforce the sentence. It was the Eastern custom for a judge to lay his hands upon the heads of the two parties in disagreement, thus emphasizing his adjudicatory capacity and his desire to render an unbiased verdict. Job might consider a human judge as capable as acting as an umpire upon his own claims, but no man was worthy, Job knew, to question the purposes of Yahweh or metaphorically lay his hand upon him. 
That is God's head. Perhaps like the other saints listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, Job gained approval, quote-unquote, as he looked forward in faith that God would supply such a divine daysman, such a divine mediator, and reconcile God to man. Perhaps he looked ahead in faith and even saw a vision of Jesus Christ, the, the one true mediator between God and man, reconciling the world to himself. I want to look at some verses that talk about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we see here the meaning of Job. Job knew that we need a divine mediator, amen? We need that divine daysman who can come and lay his hand on our head and also reach out to the head of God. Well, let's move on to Galatians. What is the meaning in Galatians? The meaning in Galatians is that God has supplied that mediator. In Galatians 3, 19 and 20, we read, Why the law then? It was added by the agency of a mediator, referring to Moses, until the seed, referring to Jesus Christ, should come, to whom the promise had been made, which was Abraham. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. These verses are, ref are saying that Moses was the mediator of the law, but Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 5 together. And we'll see here Moses saying that he stood between the people and God. He acted as a mediator, even though the word mediator is not used. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Now, this little phrase in verse 20 that says, whereas God is only one, this statement implies that in the new covenant, all the obligations of this new covenant are going to be assumed by God himself because there is no party, remember, who can represent God 
except God. And so God is going to assume all the obligations and responsibilities himself. In essence, the word says he swears by himself. He will swear upon himself. Let's look at that in Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What is being said here in these verses? is that Jesus Christ swore by himself. He, his covenant had two pieces, his character as God and his word as God. And that fact is supposed to bring us strong encouragement. It's meant to bring us um, an anchor of the soul. And then in verse 20, we see that Jesus has entered something. And in verse 19, he has entered within the veil. We're going to see a little later that Jesus Christ is in the throne room of God, interceding for us and representing us. This is supposed to bring us great assurance that God will cause us to stand. He will cause us to bring salvation. He will bring salvation all the way to the end, because he is in the throne room of God. Indeed, God did supply the mediator, the meaning in Galatians. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy now. The meaning in 1 Timothy is that Jesus Christ is the one and only true mediator. Let's read that together. And I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 8 for you to get the context of verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy about prayer in public worship. And he says, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Joel did that this morning, didn't he? 
He did. He prayed for people in authority, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then the verse that we're keyed in on here, for there is one God and there is one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I want you to see that in verse 5, the New Testament is carving out Jesus Christ as the only unique and perfect mediator. He's now seated at the right hand of God. He is the the God-man, the high priest at his right hand, the only one who could comprehend the claims of God and the needs of man. Through him, through his continual presence in the throne room of God, we have direct access to God, don't we? We read of this direct access in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Listen to this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. You know, another ancillary thought about 1 Timothy, those, all these verses that I read, is that Paul is saying prayer, our prayers to this one mediator affect history, that we may lead a quiet life, that prayer affects the reality in which we find ourselves. Pascal had this famous quote about prayer, that perhaps in prayer, God gives us the dignity of causality. Isn't that a beautiful, thought-provoking quote? That in prayer, God gives us the dignity of causality. Sounds like something a mathematician and a physicist would say. (laughs) We have this direct access. Also, Ephesians uh, 3, 11 and 12. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. First Timothy, the message here is that Jesus Christ is that one true, unique mediator and daysman. And finally, the meaning in Hebrews. 
He is the perfect and eternal mediator. Uh, back in 2008, Jim Garrett preached a sermon called A Portrait of Christ out of the book of Hebrews. And I had notes in the margin of my Bible. And as I was researching this, I thought, that's, you know, I think that was a message of Jim's. And so I called him up and he said, yes, sure enough, that was six and a half years ago that I preached that. And I still have notes in, in, in my margin. It was an excellent message. But his outline for the book of Hebrews was the divine messenger, the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, and the perfect example. I'd like to amend that a little bit as we look at this idea of a mediator that he is the perfect and eternal mediator. It's here in Hebrews that we see the second meaning that Vines talked about, one who acts as a guarantee after securing something that otherwise would not be obtained. Let's read a little bit more from Hebrews, this time chapter 7, 22 through 8, 6. So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those former high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary. Listen to these phrases. He's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary that this high priest, that is Jesus Christ, also have something to offer. What did he offer? Himself on the cross, a sacrifice for sin. Now he has obtained, in verse 6, a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. So what are the main points of this passage? This is bullet point three on the screen. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus holds this priesthood permanently. 
And third, Jesus is a minister in the throne room of God. Now jump down to the fourth point here, Hebrews 7.25. We, you know, we read this verse. Um, let me read it to you. Hence, uh, hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What I want to point out to you is that we often think of Jesus petitioning God with our prayers. And certainly that is true. But what Hebrews has in mind here is much bigger than that. It's that Jesus Christ is continually representing us, advocating for us, bringing our salvation to full completion before the Father in the throne room of God. Warren Wearsby says, intercession means that Jesus Christ represents us before the throne of God continually, and we do not have to represent ourselves. When God, the Father, looks at us, who does he see? His Son, his blessed Son, and all is right. So what are we to see from all this? What are we to understand? I want you to understand that the priesthood of Christ is emphasized as permanent, eternal in the heavens. Number two, our advocate, Jesus Christ, is enthroned in the throne room of God. Number three, we have direct access to God, as we read in Hebrews 4. 14 through 16, that we can boldly come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then fourth, our complete salvation is sure. I want to read the uh, verse 25 of chapter 7 about he always lives to make intercession for us in the King James Version, or at least the first line. It says, hence also, he is able to save to the uttermost. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? He is able to save to the uttermost. And then in Jude, we read in the doxology of this little book, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand, in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, for now and forevermore. Jesus Christ intercedes for us, Romans 8:34 and 7:25. Let's look at Romans very quickly. Romans 8. 34, he is the one, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. No one can bring a charge against us because Jesus is in the throne room. No one can bring a charge against us, Romans 8.33 says, and 8.35, nothing 
can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. So I want you to get a sense that it's, it's not just Jesus praying for us. It's the presence of Jesus in the throne room that assures everything, that assures our salvation, that no one can bring a charge, that we're safe and secure. And like Colossians 3.3 says, our life is hidden in Christ, in God, in the very, very throne room of God. And now I want to ask you in closing that you would look upon Jesus on the cross with his arms outstretched, our perfect daysman, one hand on the head of God and one on the head of man. With one hand on the head of God, he advocates for man saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And with one hand on the head of man, he advocates for God through his own spilled and precious blood and the sacrifice of himself, that of a spotless lamb sent from heaven. And if that's not enough, God even saw to it that a sign would be placed above his head that said, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. He might as well have said to the Jews, Jesus the Nazarene, the Christ of God. That was the impact of the statement, King of the Jews. And that's why the, the Jews objected. Let me read it to you. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. God saw to it that the sign above Jesus declaring that he was the Christ to the Jews was written in three languages so all could get it. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered what? What I have written, I have written. God saw to it that the Jews could not mistake who this was, this daysman that Job cried out for so many millennia before. Hallett, would you come? And as you meditate upon the cross, I want to sing a song to you, and then we will have a prayer. Feel free to bow your head, to stand, to walk, to kneel, but let's take a moment to try to apprehend this great daysman sent by God the Father.
deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out, among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from him? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, how can we thank you for providing the perfect mediator, the perfect arbiter, the perfect daysman? In our behalf, you took upon yourself all the obligations of this great new covenant in which we stand. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ our champion and perfect Savior who suffered and died in our place, taking the sins of the world upon his back. But you raised him up. He conquered death and hell. You glorified and exalted him. And now he lives in the throne room of God, seated at the right hand of God, ever representing us, ever advocating for us, ever interceding 
on our behalf, ever perfecting our salvation to the uttermost, ever making us to stand in your presence, full of glory and with great joy. All we can do, Lord, is fall before you, our great God, in humble adoration and awe and say, Lord, we worship you. Lord, we glorify you. Lord, we exalt you and we praise you. We bless you, O God. Thank you for our perfect daysmen. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the mediator, who was able to be the bridge between God and man. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you would bless this brief study of your word. Let it go deep, Lord, into our spirits. And may we picture Jesus in the throne room of God, seated at the right hand of God, having declared that all authority has been given unto him in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, 18. Father, may we have a deeper appreciation and joy as we contemplate the safety and the security of having Jesus Christ in the throne room, God's perfect daysman, as our high priest and advocate forever. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, and we praise you.